Hello, everyone, and welcome to Going for the Green, the Daily Roto Fantasy Golf Podcast. Uh, my name is Davis Maddock. I am here with Colin Drew. We are here to talk about the RBC Canadian Open switching venues this year to the Hamilton Country Club and Golf Course in, uh, I don't know, somewhere in Ontario. A little bit of a memorial recap. Our boy, Data Golf's boy, Patrick Cantlay. They, they have to feel very vindicated for their ranking and projection of Patrick Cantlay as he just smoked the field uh, last week at the Memorial. Yeah, it was great to see uh, a guy that they've been really high on for a long period of time now. And uh, nice to see the, the win finally come through. Felt like he'd been hovering, right, uh, finishing inside the top 10 at the Masters, uh, RBC Heritage, and PGA Championship. So was definitely trending in the right direction. Uh, his price what felt maybe a, a tiny bit steep, I think, at, at face value to some folks, but uh, came through with the win. Uh, Data Golf also came up with a metric, which I think is a pretty cool metric, which basically says, uh, you know, based on the rounds that the golfer played, what his actually expected wins could be, which you know that in golf there's a ton of variance and, um, you know, depending on how other players play that that week that's going to dictate a lot of things and Cantlay was a, a very deserving winner has had him winning with that performance 97% of the time which wasn't too surprising I thought the biggest surprise though Adam Scott was also a deserving winner and you could tell in the post uh, event interviews that he was a little bit frustrated and felt like he couldn't have done a whole lot more um, and based on his performance gaining 16 plus strokes tee to green Data Golf actually felt like he would win an event with that performance 85% of the time. So uh, pretty crazy, good performance from those guys, and, and definitely uh, a weird week for DFS in general. A lot of carnage despite the Invitational Tournament. Uh, not many lineups got 6-6 six six through. So, um, yeah, if you had Cantlay, Scott. Well, Kuchar was, Kuchar was like 40% owned and stuff. He missed cut. Rory missed the cut. Aaron Wise missed the cut. Jason Day missed the cut. Like there was a lot of highly yeah. owned like guys who just and like some like Jason Day like was not even close. Jason <laughs> Jason Day on uh, on Friday played one of the worst rounds of golf I've ever seen. Oh, only to be <laughs> passed by Justin Thomas, who was also really popular and missed the cut. Um, and then yeah, Finau as well. So lot lot of carnage last week, especially in a week where you felt like the small field that should be a lot easier to get six to six teams through uh, didn't come to fruition. If you would have just X'd Kuchar last week, like it would have been a print fest. Like no, just cause, no, because you would have been on JT or Finau. Or, oh, like, you're right. Yeah, just like a range where you you were just getting drilled. So it didn't end up. Um, I don't know. There were. I mean, you you had to be on Cantlay. You had to be on Hideki, Adam Scott, and then. From there, uh, the old shuffle would have. Uh, I had a, I had a, a pretty live um, Cantlay, Scott, Bud Colley, Hideki team, and then Kevin Streelman. Kevin Streelman is what put me in a coffin because he <laughs> he streaked on the back nine and just passed everyone. You know, got the streak points, and then uh, it got the scoring points, got the finish points. Did not, did not have enough exposure to Kevin Streelman to get me through to the top. Davis, I put together, I think, my first zero of six team. Like, team like you, we're not a single golfer made the cut. I don't remember doing that before. I, I think humble brag not having zero of sixes in the uh, two weeks ago when Xander and Bryson both missed the, both <laughs> missed the cut. I, I, I probably I probably lapped the field in zero of sixes that week. It, it sounds like our sweats were pretty similar. Um, I ended up. My best team ended up 10th in the secondary, drive the green, um, and that was a Cantlay, Kali, Hideki, and Scott. And then I just had 
Hadwin and Kokrak on that one. They were they were down outside the top fifty. Um, I had I had Stricker and X versus whatever two guys you just said. That was my that was my best team. It is it is uh always a little bit frustrating when a guy that you've been on for so long like can't let comes through with a win and it's not like a print fest um, I, I joked it i joked in our pga slack that daily rota subscribers should all be asking for their money back when can't finally wins a tournament and everyone didn't 100 x <laughs> like what, why was i backing this guy for the last 18 months <laughs> well i mean it's because it's just because and this is actually something that's happened the last two weeks and i think it's going to kind of creep into people's roster construction this week but we now have had back-to-back weeks where a bunch of really expensive high-priced guys have missed the cut uh you know rory jt day like so on and so forth uh so i think i think that actually might creep into people's roster construction this week a little bit at the rbc yeah, that's going to be really interesting to see, um, especially given the way that the field is setting up for this week and the the depth of the field. We can talk about that Spoiler one. Spoiler alert is bad. <laughs> and I, I would say the other frustrating thing, the course change. So we can get into the course, RBC Canadian Open being played at Hamilton Golf and Country Club. I always look forward to this uh, event because it was always played at a bomber-friendly course. And that's just great for DFS. You had like the the two par five stretch on the back nine where it was very streakable including like the potential for an eagle birdie eagle streak i wanted a gpp uploading the wrong csv at this event so it, it had a fond place in my heart yeah this is this was this used to be my favorite uh event of the tour year my best dfs results have been here uh i've had i've had the dj out right here like this this was my favorite event of the oh. year and i'm really salty now we're going from a, a, a bomber's paradise to a, a bunter's paradise. Yeah, I'll be touting. I'll uh, I'll be touting Jim Furyk on the FanDuel hurry up later today. If anyone wants to get an indication of what this course is like, <laughs> so part seventy course just under seven thousand yards long. Course has hosted the event five times before. The last time was in two thousand twelve, and then two thousand six. Prior to that, in two thousand twelve, Scott Piercy won the event seventeen under par. Um, that year, it played as a fairly neutral course relative to course fit. Um, and because of the low scoring, you obviously had to gain strokes with the putter in order to finish inside, you know, the top five of the event. But it was, uh, I don't know, it was like an uninspiring event. There weren't that many angles to, to poke at. Um, one of the shorter courses on tour as far as par adjusted distance goes. And looking through kind of some of the quotes and, and stuff that Josh Colt put out there, it doesn't seem like it's a bomber's course at all anymore, even that short. Um, the type of course where some players are saying they're, they're only going to hit driver five or six times just because of the way the setup is. And so some irons and three woods off the tee and whatnot. Yeah, a lot of the stuff of what I read is like guys talking about, you know, managing the course. Um, a lot of them talking about like you need to hit your wedges short of the hole. Uh, one of the one of the quotes from Furek was that you want to you would rather have a wedge from the rough 15 yards out below the hole than a putt 10 feet above the hole. Like for whatever reason, the way the course is laid out that you just don't you don't want to be above the hole. So I am I am definitely going to be placing an emphasis on like wedge guys this week, like like, you know, sort a, sort of a just crafty-ish kind of players. If, if Phil if Phil was playing, I would give Phil like a plus three. Strokes gained craftiness. Stroke, yeah, strokes gained craftiness. That, that's obviously that's like a very um, anti-data take. But I will be I will be bumping some guys who gain strokes around the green versus approaching the green. Yeah. The, the the other thing is, I feel like in the years past, people would end up just touting people just because they're Canadian. And I don't know, DFS co- content, maybe it's come a little too far. Maybe people are too sharp for that now. But 
before we got into the players, I did feel like we're obligated to at least tout some Canadian golfers. So wanted to see if you had any takes on top Canadian in the field this week. Is isn't Corey Connors Canadian? Yeah. Yeah, I I'll go I'll go Corey Connors. I just like that dude's game. He gains a ton of strokes, T to Green. I'll I'll take uh I'll take Adam Hadwin to your Corey Connors. Uh, I mean, you'd have to give me, you'd have to give me, uh, well, you, just I, had, I, you just had the choice of anybody in the field and you, you took Corey Connors. Yeah, but they're, they are not, they are not close in the betting markets or so in DK so price. Why you, so why did you take him? Cause I like Corey Connors better. <laughs> okay. You're not going to find, you're not going to get me on record touting Adam Hadwin. I, I'm going to tout Adam Hadwin later. Well, good. Uh, I guess, I guess we will, uh, we'll get to that when we get to, uh, when we get to that. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I definitely these guys will carry a little bit of extra ownership. Like, I remember Graham Dillette at this course. His tee to green numbers have been bad for like a decade. But Graham Dillette would always be like 11% at this event when he played. Graham Dillette, I mean, he got the chipping yips, but he was pretty good uh, off the tee and on approach. But yeah, with this event, I feel like it's more of a Hadwin course than a Connors course. Regardless of the, the betting market prices, um, Connors definitely could have had a little more favorable track at, at the previous venue, I think. But uh, those are my takes for for top Canadians. Won't be t- touting any any Canadian takes beyond that. Um, other than go listen to Pat Mayo's show if you want to support the Canadians on the week of the RBC Canadian Open. Got some uh, some breaking news here. Duffner withdrew, and Jeff Feinberg tweeted that Pat and Jeff recorded their Canadian Open show with Mayo touting Duffner, and then immediately when they got done recording, Duffner withdrew. So I, I feel for Pat on that. That's brutal. Yeah, a little surprising. I thought Duffner uh, coming off a good finish at the Memorial, um, Ohio guy himself. Uh, felt like maybe he tried to continue that momentum, but maybe he feels like there's there's enough there to get him through. Cage Lee also withdrew from the event. Uh, Billy Hurley the third and Brendan Todd, shout out to Fantasy Golf Man, uh, are the two guys in the field. No interest in either Hurley or Todd, but definitely had a little bit of interest in um, Cage Lee and, and some at Duffner, more so on FanDuel, but uh, probably have to be, well, obviously be off of those guys, and I don't think I'm going to be on Hurley or Todd. All right, so getting into the player pool, it's three guys, and then it is everyone else. Dustin, Brooks, and Rory, all inside the top five in the world for me. These would be, these would be pretty clearly. Uh, these, are, these would be the three best golfers in the world to me with uh, JT and Cantlay rounding out the top five. So I think what I want to do this week is in all my lineups, you know, I'll play 250 or whatever. I think I just want to create a rule on the on the daily roto like tools min one dustin johnson brooks kepka roy mcelroy and probably give brooks like a plus two bump in the optimizer yeah i think that type of approach makes sense uh, especially makes sense on FanDuel, uh where the pricing is is so soft i mean you're gonna get a lot of those guys in anyways um but you can have as many as uh, two there are even some lineup builds that have all three in on FanDuel, which is is pretty crazy those ones are a little fun but I think um, you definitely want one guy in there in a high percentage of lineups. I have debated the same rule myself. Right now, Data Golf gives 75% odds that at least one of DJ, Rory, or Brooks will finish inside the top three at the event, and 35% odds that one of them actually wins the event outright. So, um, I mean, those three, it's, it's basically those three plus 300 versus the field. And I think if they T3 the event, 
even if they don't win, they're going to be in the winning lineup just the way that the rest of the field shakes out. So that's definitely an well, and and the par fives are very eagleable here. Like there like mul- there were multiple rounds when they did this event, uh, when they did a, an event at this course in 2006 and 2012, where like winning scores included eagling both the par fives. Yeah, it looked like there were like. 15 to 20 Eagles on each of the par fives throughout the course of the event. So they, they definitely looked short ish too. And, and the games changed enough since 2012. Um, so I think that makes sense. Uh, JT, the other guy, I, yeah, we got it. We got it. We got to just do some theorizing on JT here, but this has been, this has been a uh, sub slack has been theorizing on JT since Friday. Yeah. Well, I mean the, the theorizing, like when it's a situation like this, it's kind of what I had recommended last week in the pro tip, which was to knock JT down uh, just below Kucher, which is where I ended up having him. Uh, a lot of that kind of pulled from the betting markets and the head-to-head markets, um, which were taking into account JT's injury and do take two-way action. So you know there's a lot of people putting a lot of money out there that are kind of guiding that. And so I felt like that was the smart approach. Obviously, it didn't end up mattering. They both missed the cut. They both played terribly. Uh, JT was I mean he was lingering there inside the cut line through 27 holes and just absolutely ejected on the back nine uh don't know exactly what happened there it didn't seem like wrist troubles it just seemed like he completely lost all semblance of like ability to judge distance on that back nine he was fine through 27 holes yeah, but but uh, the golf event seventy two holes, <laughs> and so you got to make it all the way through. I don't, you don't like lose like your caddy is giving you the distance. He's telling you it's one hundred twenty five yards or one hundred thirty two yards, and I mean these you're shots, executing the shot. So these shots were crazy. Like these shots, he was like he. I've never seen JT like miss his spot by thirty yards before, and he did it like four times in a row. Yeah, so I mean that's not um, that's not getting the distance wrong as much as it is the swing in my opinion um yeah i mean that i mean that sounds now, right to me i don't know enough to say he's healthy enough to to play like he doesn't have to play this week if he didn't want to if he didn't think it was going to be beneficial so he's healthy enough to play uh and get prepped for the u.s open and i think be, because of that he's in consideration i'll let the head-to-head markets guide my adjustment on jt it's definitely gonna be downwards it's definitely gonna be closer to the realm of Matt Kuchar than it is to JT's current projection. But even at that uh, kind of downgrade, I do think he is in play in this field. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the, that's my, my main take on JT. I, I think like, I'm just not going to play Kuchar this week. I think that I would just rather dedicate more lineups to DJ Brooks, Rory, and even JT. Like, I think, I, I don't even think, I think even with no adjustments, to Kucher's projection. I just think with the way I'm going to be building the rules, I don't think I'll end up with any Kucher. Yeah, if you're playing on DK, that's probably going to be the case. Um, I do think he's in play on FanDuel or the the top heavy. So a couple of things about this field in general, we talked a little bit about the dominance of the big three, um, but in general, there are good golfers, kind of like 10 to 15 of them, and then there's a big drop off. And so um, the difference in those kind of top end guys is a lot it, bigger. It really dies after Furyk. Like after Furyk, there's just like a lot of dudes who are very similar and who are not great. Yeah, and the difference between like Furyk or Keegan and the next guy is like you know there's probably 40 golfers that are all pretty close, and there's a big difference between the top end guys. So on FanDuel especially, I think you're going to want to uh, consider some of those top heavy roster constructions based on the pricing and the field dynamics. And so I think that's where. 
uh, Kucher, JT enter kind of more of the lineups. So for 9K guys, Webb and Stenson are the two that I'm pretty interested in. Not particularly interested in Sergio or Piercy. I guess like Sergio, if he makes it in the runs, like I'm not going to like exclude him or limit him or anything, but I might do that to Piercy. Like I, I might just, I might just forego Piercy entirely. Just off of projection or ownership or? Just like, I think that I, I'm really into Bubba this week. So I'm going to be giving Bubba like a plus three probably. And I, I'm trying to curtail my player pool a little bit more and take like, instead of having like 10% of like 30 dudes, just like try and have like 20% of 15 guys, just like trying to limit it a little bit more. Yeah. So uh, like the guys that you mentioned, I do like Sergio, um, probably, I guess a little bit more than you uh, looking at Seems his Seems like a good course fit. Like he, he's been very dialed in with his irons and even the miscut at the PGA was entirely driven by one of the worst putting performances that we've seen all year. And one of the worst of, of his career, um, putting can be variant week to week, yada, yada. We can go into all that, but he's been as good as Stenson with the strokes gained approach and it's just as good of a fit for him. So at a little bit lower ownership projection right now, I think Sergio is a superior GPP play. I like them both, but um, I would prefer Sergio in a single entry if you were going to go with like a, a little bit more balanced approach. We have the uh, the putting surface truthers touting Sneds this week. This is the po the po uh, surface or whatever that that this is what Sneds crushes, I guess. It's the, the Canadian blend of it, though. No, he always. I mean, he seems like the the RBC type of guy too. So I understand why people are touting Sneds. Um, definitely the, the shorter course. Uh, brings them into play a little bit more. It still feels like he's overpriced, um, potentially overowned. Uh, I was surprised by the amount of Bubba chatter uh, early in this week. No, he's gonna. This is so good for him. I think. I mean, Data Golf, which is very agnostic to course fit and their kind of raw projections, has him as a pretty good value. But uh, I, I guess what was it about the course that started to draw everybody, not just you, but everybody to Bubba? Well, I think there are a couple things. The first is that his tee to green numbers are still really good. He had, like, I think he finished dead last in the field in strokes gained putting at Beth Page Black, but his tee to green game has been good. And then what specifically draws me in is this seems to me like it's going to be like a shot shaping course because it's pretty, it's pretty short and there's like a bunch of dog legs. Like I think William McGirt said he took the driver out only on like six, six holes. So anywhere where there's lots of dog legs and kind of like tricky shots where you have to take angles, that's a course that Bubba's going to do like really well on because he like, he's, he shape, he shapes shots when he doesn't even have to. So when it actually is going to give him an advantage, I, I just in general really like that. That's, that's sort of a, that's sort of a no data take, but I feel, I feel good about like the hypothesis at least. So the, is the, the thought is other guys can only hit driver five times, but Bubba's still going to hit it 12? Yeah, but Bubba, and, and if he, and so say, so he hits it 12 times and say he gets like a way above average result on two of those, like he, he shapes it around some trees and he's 40 yards from the hole where other guys are shooting from 80. Like I just, I feel like that's like a pretty, that's like a meaningful edge to me. It'll be interesting to see, um, if, if the course kind of allows for that like aggressive dichotomy and approaches off the well, tee. I, I did because, read that they cut some of the trees down that used to be here when they played in 2012. Yeah. And Bubba has been getting strokes um, off the tee. He rates as an extremely good value in the data golf model. Uh, his approach game has not been good this year. It, it, he's had a couple events where he, he gained kind of a middling amount, but most of the damage, almost all of it has been done um, off the tee. 
And yeah, him and Sergio both had the disaster uh, performances at the PGA with the putters. Um, I still, I guess I would say I'd still take Sergio at the lower ownership, slightly higher price um, and similar projection. But uh, yeah, I was just kind of curious where the Bubba stuff was coming from. Yeah, I plan on being like pretty, pretty bigly overweight on uh, on Bubba and Furyk. I actually think this is like a great Furyk course. And Furyk has just been playing good golf. Like Furyk has been a very good tour player this year. Yeah, the the he's been solid, like very solid. Um, you always wonder about the ceiling, right? And if you're going to go with like Brooks, Rory, DJ and 100% of your lineups, a lot of times you're not going to want to grab a guy in the high 8Ks as the second golfer. Um, so I, th- I think it's kind of tough to, I don't know, to fit Furyk in with, with those builds. Um, it also just seems a little like odd to, I don't know, feel like a course sets up well for Jim Furyk and Bubba Watson just because they play like exact opposite styles of play. Well, what I like, what the the supposition is that bombers are just always going to have an advantage because it's easier to shoot from 80 yards than it is to shoot from 130. But this would be a course that would not disqualify Furyk from winning due to length. That that's my basic theory on that. So I would say after the kind of mid 8K range, you kind of have. Uh, Keegan in there, Bud Colley, Adam Hadwin. Um, Num- number one on tour, strokes gained around the green, Bud Colley. There's, there's not a huge difference as far as the top 20 projections between Bud Colley and Zach Johnson or even Jimmy, like Jonas McCarthy, Briggs. right? Yeah, yeah. This, it gets flat fast. So after Keegan and Colley, I, I think after like Shane Lowry's randomly 8,600, I have no interest in him, but – after Keegan and Collie, it goes to a range of where, like, if you told me that Adam Hadwin and Kevin Tway had the exact same projection, I'd be like, yeah, sure, that makes sense. Whatever. Yeah, and Adam Hadwin, um, like, he projects as a, as a solid value. I think his ownership will be fairly low. He does fit, like, the, the RBC nature, of course, set up uh, a little bit when you, when you think about what this event could play like, but does feel a tiny bit overpriced. And, um, it just feels like a range where you're not looking to load up on exposure. So I think these guys are in play for MME. Um, yeah, or this maybe, is where you hit, the, this is where the shuffle button comes in big time. Or maybe as the second guy on a roster, if you're going with like a DJ and then drop it all the way to the 8K and then, and then hitting the high 7Ks. But uh, definitely feels like a good MME week because yeah, not, not a ton of conviction as far as like which guys stand out. Berger, Sungjae, Wise, um, Zach Johnson, Corey Connors, uh, Kramer Hickok. These are all guys I would play in this range. Yeah, Sungjae Sung is um, – man, he was a, a challenge last week. Ended up so playing him events. on rosters. So many events. I mean, he's playing like twice as many events as anybody else on tour almost. And he's popping in all the stats because he's already banked all these great rounds. Um it just it makes you wonder a little bit. Um, so maybe that's a reason to to knock the projection a tiny bit, and it doesn't take a huge knock of the projection to. You could just move the slider towards. Uh, you just bump it up short term form a little bit. Yeah, and and even the default like it doesn't take a lot of movement to to get him not not a core play. I do that most weeks anyways. Honestly, I normally drag, like, I think the default is 33. I normally drag it to 40 when I do my runs. The, okay. the, the, uh, the short-term form bar. Uh, 
some other guys who I think are are definitely in play. Our boy, our boy Denny McCarthy. He's like his like uh, raw numbers don't look good, but he is uh, Denny McCarthy, one of the top five on tour strokes gained putting. Yeah, putting putting God, Denny McCarthy. It's funny the you can tell how like degenerate or loyal a daily rotor subscriber is based on which guys they associate with the the data golf brands so yeah some guys associate patrick cantlay those are people who they're playing the majors you know they're playing maybe 20 or 30 times a year and the the people who know denny mccarthy are the the loyal ones and i think the next guy who's gonna gonna kind of make his way into that same camp is gonna be peter malnati who is and and dylan fratelli yeah, Fratelli's a little more mainstream, but I think Malnati is going to enter the the Denny McCarthy or Showdown Von Taylor version of the Data Golf brand. Showdown Von Taylor was a hero several times this week. Those who those who really know, those who are really in the weeds with Data Golf, know they know the real hero is Adam Shank. Adam Shank is like the data golf guy they have him as a plus ev outright like all the time and he's always dirt cheap and he like has played better on tour than i like you would not think adam shank oh he's 6800 dudes made like 80 percent of his cuts on tour this year yeah some interesting sleepers i do think this is like between the the weird course the lack of field depth and how clustered people are if you have any biases towards players it feels like a good week you can kind of you can go with those biases a little bit because there's not a huge difference in, in the projections with some of these guys. Uh, Zach Johnson, a nice value on a course that is very approach and around the green heavy as far as his overall skill set. Uh, he can't overpower any course. He doesn't have to do that this week. Uh, Peter Uline, I think, is an interesting yeah. post-hype sleeper to, to pull the fantasy football term. Was heavily touted last week let all his backers down but nothing has really changed about the player and um, perhaps just as good of a course fit less than five percent ownership and uh, a reasonable price tag heavily touted every week to be honest i love peter uline that's uh he's the titleist guy's son people don't even know his dad like owns titleist uh I think a a really interesting thing this week is if you feel really good about any of these guys, like just say like, whatever, you know, you're, you're feeling really good about Roberto Castro or David Lingmurth or Johnson Wagner or whatever. Like you could just create so much leverage on the field. If you get a T eight out of one of these guys and you're like super overweight, because I don't think there's like, is there even any obvious chalk under 7,000? And I think winning builds are super likely to have one or more of these guys because of all of the win equity being captured by DJ and Rory and Brooks. Yeah. It, um, I think, I think that makes sense. Uh, I would say you're right. The win equity captured up above plus the fact that there's not as dramatic of a difference between this caliber golfer and some of the other guys. And then the course, just when you talk about scores that could hit like minus 15 to minus 20, you talk about shorter courses. It feels like it might add some more randomness as far as the, the projections because it's not going to play like a typical um, tour stop. And so maybe that, that kind of brings in some of the, the deeper bombs into play as well. So, yeah, I think this week um, I probably won't take like 20% stands on these guys, but I'll, I'll probably dip deeper into the player pool this week than I would have uh, another week. I might try and go to 20% or 15% on some of these guys and get like actually overweight. Yeah. I, I mean, the issue is some of these guys are going to be like 1%. So even like 10%, you're very overweight. 
I would also just like a lot of these guys are coin flips to miss the cut. So like Nate Lashley or, or someone like that, Johnson Wagner, like they're 50, 55% to make the cut. So if you take a 20% stand on a few of these guys, it could tank all your lineups uh, a high percentage of the time. Yeah. But like, I mean, there are, so there are a couple guys down here that I do actually feel are like good plays. Johnson Wagner uh, and Adam Shank are two of them. I like, I, I have, I feel pretty good yeah, about playing them. But like, okay, so I I would agree with both of those guys from like a play perspective. I think with the overall builds this week being top heavy for the win equity, that makes sense. But like Johnson Wagner is still 45% chance to miss the cut and only a 14% chance to T20. So like it still feels like an aggressive stance and Johnson Wagner is a lot less likely to pay off than it is too. And um, I mean, does... 20% or 10% give you that much better a position on a 1% on Wagner. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you're better off going 10 on Wagner and 10 on Sepp Straka or someone random, you know? Yeah. I mean, maybe, I don't know. I still need to think more about it. I just think like in general, probably you're with ownership becoming more efficient overall. Like you are, I think, I do think you probably are better off. Um, like just like making more stances rather than less. But maybe it's better to make your stances up top. It's, I mean, it seems like you're going pretty heavy up top already. But I don't know. Like, like is that is even going 35% Rory, 35% DJ, 30% Brooks? Is that even really a stance? Like, I don't even know. Yeah, I mean, I think it, I think it will. Like, most weeks we only see 80 to 85% of rosters that start with at least one guy above 10K. So there's definitely a, a chunk that are going more balanced in general. Um, 11K plus golfers aren't very popular. So there's that element too. There's three of them this week instead of one. So you have that going for it as well. Um, and then there's just the fact that recently the high price golfers haven't been paying off. The balanced roster builds have been winning in this short sample stretch. So I think all of those things will um, end up being reasons that people end up kind of foregoing some of the top end players in the field. And that's before you spin in any narratives about not caring about this event or just using it as a tune-up for the major. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I think I, it seems like a, a pretty interesting week overall for like figuring out tournaments. Yeah. I mean, it seems like a pretty shitty week to be honest, but it, it'll, uh, well, what can you do? What can you do? Yeah. All right. Uh, so we want to talk about, we want to talk about betting. Yeah. Uh, I think the, the first thing that stood out to me was uh, shockingly, this might be the first time, that I can remember, but data golf has top end players Same. as plus EV outrights, including yeah, has DJ, DJ and Rory and Rory plus 600 plus, uh, and then 10 to one on Rory. So plus a thousand, that was, that was probably the most surprising thing to me. Uh, definitely some big bombs in there as well, but, uh, it's, it's very rare that you see the top end guys as plus EV outrights in data golf's work. Yeah, I, I was like, I so I think that I might uh, bet both of them and just like parlay them with Golden State either in game three or for the series. And that's actually that's actually what I'm planning on doing with both of them as opposed to not because I love to bet bombs. That's just like what I do a lot. But I think maybe I'm not going to do that this week. <laughs> What, what what like what is the the logic is just like 10 to 1 isn't good enough return for you like you're not yes. willing to make a bet unless it's a 100 to 1 or something i'd say except it wouldn't be under one to be more to be like 15 to 1 or whatever yeah. but yes yeah that of course cross sport parlay with with 
just no reason to justify it. No, I mean, there, there's a reason to justify it that, that I, I would like to have a better return on my investment. Uh, number one investment advice you'll ever get for betting is uh, don't do that. Don't do parlays. Parlays are dumb. Uh, well, yeah, I think that uh, non-correlated parlays across sports when like you, you might not even have an edge on one of the two bets is probably not, probably not right up there with the handful of times that parlays can be profitable. So that is my official advice. I actually think, I actually think even if you just like, I think just betting Rory and DJ and doing like two unit bets on both of them, I actually think that's a very reasonable way to do this event and just, just bet those guys. Yeah. So Gup's, Gup's corner one and done. Uh, got another winner under the belt last week, Davis, and for, for our main wow. entry. Patrick so sick. Yeah. Yeah, the Steve Stricker fan club entry is – well, we had, a, we had a rough little stretch there, but up to 92nd overall. Um, there's some big totals, though. So we're at like $8 bucks. Winner is at 11.1. So I need, a, I need to find some low, low-owned winners if I want to take down the take, – take a shot at the top. Who are you going to take this week? Um, I was thinking about Sergio. I like that. I like Sergio. I think I think I might just burn Dustin. Like yeah. I, I, I'm just like I'm just like tilting it off already, and I've already like I'm going very hard at this segment. So like, I I kind of am just thinking about just using Dustin. Um, <laughs> would you change that approach if I told you that you were like twelve hundredth in the segment? <laughs> yeah, I mean it's just like, but like you gotta you gotta pull the plug. Yeah, but what? Then I pull the plug, and then I because I've already used enough of the top end guys that I don't even know. I guess like if I just have to get lucky in the fourth segment, I guess. Yeah, you got to pull the plug on on that approach. All right, Corey Connors this week. There, there we go. go. There go. Yeah, no, I think um, yeah, I think the top end guys though, like the three of them, you're not gonna find because there's three. I guess it hurts the win probability a little bit, but you're getting a ton of value out of them relative to their odds to win, you know, they're not going to be this big favorites. And most of the events, the downside is obviously the purse. Um, so I think that's why I'm going to end up going with a secondary player. And then, uh, yeah, use one of the big three somewhere else. Yeah. All that, all that makes enough sense to me. You got anything else this week? No, I, I am excited to, to learn to love a Canadian golf course again. I hope it's really fun. And uh, if, Rory, if Rory sucks again, I, I'm going to be pretty dejected next week for, uh, for the U.S. Open. Yeah, yeah, for the U.S. Open should be fun. Uh, we're debating potentially doing a premium-only podcast for the U.S. Open. So we'll, uh, we'll release something next week on that. Regardless, though, it, it should be a really fun week. Obviously, the setup at Pebble and then the U.S. Open. You never know what the USGA is going to do to a course. So that one should be great, both for the tilt, the DFS sweats, and also just general golf fandom. There we go. We'll, uh, we'll see you back next week, guys.